Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview an analyst or investor to discuss a single stock. And today we have on the show Edwin Dorsey. He is a very popular figure on financial Twitter, and he writes a really good Substack, probably one of the best out there called the Bear Cave Substack, where he digs into basically corporate shenanigans and tries to kind of expose any sort of corporate bad practices and he doesn't actually short the companies he 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 earns his income from the newsletter and so there isn't maybe that conflict of interest that a lot of people worry about and today we're talking about hershey and i gotta say before we came into this i was a little skeptical because for one i'm a diehard reese's consumer but i also thought you know like what what is this it was based on this upstart concern or this upstart competitor. And I thought it was really small, but after listening to Edwin kind of pitch a lot of the reasons why Hershey's could be in trouble, it became a lot more like reasonable. I could certainly see that side of it. And I think a lot of people that maybe if you're coming into this with a closed mind, be open to it because he provides a lot of, a lot of really good data to support his belief. But I think with that, we're ready to get to the interview. So without further ado, here's our discussion with Edwin Dorsey. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome in. Today we are joined by first-time guest Edwin Dorsey. He is the founder slash author of the Bear Cave Substack, a very popular Substack. And if you haven't checked it out, either look it up on Google or you can find it on Twitter. But we're talking today about Hershey. I guess I'll start with maybe how did you well, for starters, welcome to the show. And then to follow up. How did you come across this idea of like potentially believing in a short for Hershey's? Like, where where did that investment idea uh, like come from? Ryan, Brett, thanks so much for having me on the Chit Chat Money podcast. I'm really excited to be here. So the genesis of this idea is I'm obsessed with YouTube. I I watch hours of YouTube every day. Um, I follow a lot of the big YouTubers. And uh, I noticed, you know, starting a year or two ago that a lot of the YouTubers I followed started uh, launching consumer brands. So the obvious one that we're going to talk about a bunch is Mr. Beast, this young 25-year-old YouTuber who launched a chocolate brand called Feastables. But I also saw a lot of other YouTubers launching similar things in the food and beverage space. Logan Paul and KSI had this popular drink called Prime. Another group of YouTubers had this alcoholic drink called Happy Dad. Celsius obviously got really big, not really on the backs of of YouTube, but on the backs of influencer sponsorships. And starting six months ago or so, I had this idea of writing an article called The Great CPG Short, The Great Consumer Packaged Goods Short, where I'd highlight how a lot of these high-performing consumer packaged good companies with these established brands were kind of like getting eaten away in small bites by these upstarts. And kind of the idea being that the nature of advertising has changed from benefiting the huge incumbents to benefiting the upstarts who are creating big brands on the backs of their own celebrities. 
celebrities. And then when I started looking into all these companies, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Kellogg, Monster, and Hershey's, the one that I thought was most exposed to this issue, most exposed to new competition from an online creator was Hershey's, which is directly in competition with Mr. Beast and Feastables. Uh, so so that, that, that is kind of the genesis of it, is looking at a lot of these YouTubers, seeing the new brands they're launching and seeing, is there any one business that could actually be really affected by that? And I believe that business is Hershey's. Yeah, I have a quick question to start things off. It's Halloween today, which is kind of ironic recording or serendipitous recording time. But have you tried the Feastables, Mr. Beast Feastables? And what's your consumer review? Oh, absolutely. I've tried it a lot. I have a few boxes of them in my apartment. Um, So... So they have a lot of different bars. So it's not just one bar. There's like the original chocolate. There's like the crunch bars. There's the peanut infused bar called these nuts. Um, I like I like the peanut infused one. I like the crunch one. The, the just original plain one is, I don't know, a little plain. Uh, part of the selling pitch for Feastables is all the bars are very simple. They have three, four or five ingredients. And so I, I thought the plain bar was fine. I really like the peanut infused one and the crunch one. And I think they're better than Hershey's, but I may be a little biased here. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that brings up a quick follow up here. Can you explain maybe with your the Bear Cave newsletter, your strategy of writing, you know, bearish reports on companies, but not actually taking short positions? What's your philosophy with that? Because I think it's quite interesting. So, Brett, that is an outstanding question that I get a lot. So just at the high level here, the Bear Cave is a newsletter I've been writing for the last three years since graduating college. Um, And the way it works is there's a free weekly recap that goes out every Sunday where I summarize new activist short reports, highlight notable resignations, and share interesting tweets. That's a free version that goes out every Sunday. And then for the paid subscribers, on the first and third Thursday of the month, I'll produce these mini deep dives, roughly 1,500-word articles on companies, generally $1 to $10 billion public companies that I feel are misleading investors or harming customers. And that's what people like will pay to read, and then there's free excerpts online. Um, And the unique thing is, even though I'm writing these things that some people consider short reports, I never short the stocks. Instead, I only make money from paid reader subscriptions. So I don't short it. I don't partner someone who shorts it. I only make money from paid reader subscriptions. And, you know, the reason I chose that model instead of, the let's say, a traditional activist short model of shorting it myself or partnering with someone to short it is what I'm doing is just a little different than a typical activist short seller. A typical activist short seller doesn't publish frequently. They do a lot of deep work on one idea. They'll look at a lot of numbers, look at a lot of valuation. They might engage a forensic accountant. They might engage private investigators. They'll talk to a lot of former employees and do a tremendous... That's never been my interest. That's never been like something that really appealed to me. I'm better at the early stages of research and I'm heavily document-based. So I'll file FOIA requests with regulators for consumer complaints. I'll read litigation. I'll read a lot of online reviews and stuff. And my skill set is better suited to earlier stage research, more like journalistic mini deep dives, which might not rise to the level of like a compelling short thesis right away, but does rise to the level of like kind of interesting idea generation for people. Um, You know, I also think my model of making money from paid reader subscriptions rather than shorting it 
shorting the stocks myself is like a lot more defensible from like a moral, legal and ethical uh, uh, regulatory perspective. As far as I'm concerned, I'm just like, you know, a 25 year old with a popular blog and newsletter. That's, you know, I, I think it's unlikely I'll get sued. It's unlikely to be accused of market manipulation. Just, I'm just not shorting. Um, so so all, all those are kind of considerations to have. And the final thing is, I don't think you can do both. I don't think you can have a really successful paid newsletter product and be shorting it yourself because then all the readers will say, well, why am I paying you if you're shorting? Shouldn't you take off the paywall? Shouldn't you, you know, just make it free? So I, I think my model is really sustainable. It's good. It kind of fits with my interest and my natural passion, which is diving into these unique issues and writing kind of like more journalistic articles that focus on the qualitative aspects of companies rather than like a quantitative deep dive with valuation and price targets and earnings estimates, which is just not, not my passion. No, I really, I really like the model and it makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, and this is uh, kind of an aside from the Hershey discussion, which we'll have. Yeah. What, so you've written a lot of reports and I imagine there's been, I can't think of a specific example, but management teams that have reacted to them because you, you get a lot of readers and subscribers. And I think it has some influence in terms of what people believe. What's the worst, like, what's the biggest red flag response that you see from management teams? Like, is there a good response to seeing your reports? And is there something where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I'm really onto something because they seem kind of defensive. So Ryan, the craziest thing was when I was in college, I criticized this publicly traded babysitting platform called care.com and I was criticizing their safety flaws. And what I did to show that they weren't doing the background checks they claimed to be doing and the safety checks they claimed to be doing is I tried to sign up on this babysitting platform, care.com as Harvey Weinstein. I used a photo of Harvey Weinstein to, you know, made up a completely fake account and passed their background check and showed they clearly weren't doing their background checks and they approved Harvey Weinstein to be on their site. And this company called my college and tried to get me in trouble while I was a college student and sent a letter to my house and was like raising hell for me as a college student. So that is definitely the biggest red flag if you're just like randomly harassing a college student in their school. Um, generally, though, you know, good responses will just be measured in fact-based and directly dispute the allegation. Bad responses will have a lot of puffery, not respond to anything and try to be threatening. Like, oh, we're going to take legal action. We're going to contact a regulator. This is false, but not actually like address the core allegation, you know? So that's kind of like the difference between, oftentimes it's just ignored. And I'm generally writing on bigger companies and generally writing on something new every two to three weeks. So most of the time companies look normally and just think I'm going to move on. But the, the key for, you know, seeing um, a, a short report is, are they just criticizing the messenger or are they doing anything that addresses the message? Um, so a good example would be Reed Hastings back like 10 years ago when Whitney Tilson released the short report. He had this very famous blog post that was reposted to Seeking Alpha, where he kind of just went point by point and disputed like the case. He didn't call Whitney Tilson names. He didn't threaten litigation. It just went through the case point by point and laid out the opposing view. And, you know, not coincidentally, Netflix has been like a 10 bagger since that. So, you know, you always want to see like short responses that like are substantive and address the criticisms. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the best management teams out there. Now we're going to get to the thesis, but I think people maybe don't understand exactly what Hershey owns. So can you go through their whole business? Cause I know people understand the Hershey bars, but maybe they're not aware that they own stuff like Reese's and, you know, pretzels as well. 
So um, Hershey's at a high level is a 130-year-old company founded in the 1890s, roughly $40 billion market cap, and they have about $10 billion of sales. $8 billion of their sales is kind of like this North American confectionery business, which is largely chocolate. Their two biggest brands are Hershey's and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. They also own a few, like uh, they have Kit Kat that's licensed in the US for them. They have Mr. Good Bar and a few other smaller brands. And then they have like more of um, you know, a candy or like salty snack division. They own Jolly Rancher. They uh, they acquired Skinny Pop a while ago. They own Pirate's Booty. But the, the crux of my concerns is this U.S. North American confectionery business, $8 billion of their $10 billion in sales, which is largely Hershey's and Reese's. That's kind of the crux of my, you know, concern. And that, that's really the crux of their, their business. They don't have a huge international presence, um, and they don't have a ton of other, like, big brands other than Hershey's, Reese's, you know, maybe Kit Kat and Jolly Rancher. Chit Chat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers, but we like to call them by their ticker symbol, IBKR. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies, charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%, rated the lowest among margin fees, the ability to trade stocks, bonds, options, futures, commodities, and more with high interest rates paid on instantly available cash balances and the ability to lend your eligible stock shares to earn passive income all on one single unified platform. Restrictions may apply. For more information, visit ibkr.com, member SIPC, open an account, with IBKR today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, that leads right into it. What is the high-level thesis? Why are you concerned about... And, well, to be fair, we should say for the listeners, maybe give context of when you wrote this, because a lot of this stuff, the concerns have started to appear, you know, as we're recording this on Halloween um, <laughs> in October 2023. So I wrote my article, Problems at Hershey, in July uh, 2023, and the stock is down about 20% since then. However, I think they still have more problems, and I think it's still a great short, and there's a lot to play out. So the overwhelming like majority of my thesis here, overwhelming majority of my concern, is new competition from Feastables. So like we mentioned briefly earlier, Feastables was a chocolate brand founded in January of 2022, so it's less than two years old, by this incredibly popular, probably the most popular YouTuber ever, Jimmy Donaldson, this 25-year-old who has a channel called Mr. Beast. He regularly pulls in like about a billion views, you know, every month. His new videos constantly get 100, 200, 250 million views. This guy is the most popular YouTuber to ever exist and continues to grow. And I think he's just a fascinating person. So if you're interested in this thesis, you need to learn a little bit about Jimmy Donaldson. And his new chocolate brand, Feastables, even though it was launched less than two years ago, has had a tremendous amount of um traction. They're in every Walmart and Target. 
And oftentimes they're like placed right next to Hershey's. And he's made it clear that they're going to be competing directly with Hershey's. He's directly attacking Hershey's. And my, my idea is that this company is going to start taking share from Hershey's and start taking small share and then we'll take bigger share over time and make a major dent in their profits, which will, you know, cause the cause the earnings multiple to come down. And I think this upstart company that, that no one really seems to be talking of or is aware of is going to have like making a dent in Hershey's. And that seems to a lot of people to be a little ridiculous. You know, will a company that's less than two years old unseat a 130-year-old company? Will a 25-year-old entrepreneur with limited experience, you know, outmaneuver a $40 billion company? And even if it feastables turns out to be a big success, how big of a, an effect could this have on the Hershey's business? And in response to my article, there was a lot of criticism from traditional Wall Street types. And the, the three kind of common points of criticism around Feastables and just creator brands in general is first, you know, creator bands like Feastables are insignificant, you know, in size compared to Hershey's. That's kind of criticism number one. Criticism number two is, you know, even it might get sales, but it'll never get the distribution to compete with Hershey's, which has been around forever and has established relationships. So the second criticism is around distribution. And then the third criticism is even if it gets sales, even if it gets distribution, uh, what happens in all these cases is the established brand like Hershey's will just pay a few hundred million or billion dollars and buy it out. So those are the three big criticisms on why Feastables will not make a dent in Hershey's. And I thought it would be useful in this podcast to maybe go point by point and address those criticisms. So the first criticism you know, here around Feastables and Hershey's is that it's naive to think an upstart is going to get significant share on the scale of Hershey's $8 billion in North American chocolate sales. And the, the common things people like to post on Twitter is like this screenshot from this May 2022 Business Insider article that Feastables did $10 million of sales in its first three months of operation. And people post that article and are like, Edwin's so stupid. It's doing $10 million of sales and Hershey's is doing $10 billion of sales. How could that possibly make an impact? And I don't think people realize they're kind of making my point when they post that article, because it is true when Feastables first launched in its first three months of operation, strictly online, it did about $10 million in sales, according to this Business Insider article, which is about a $40 million annual run rate. But now in year two, you know, the, the, the sales as far as I can tell, are about 10 times larger. I think Feastables is ballpark here, a 300 to $500 million a year business for this year, 2023, and it's growing rapidly. And the evidence for Feastables being that big, it's kind of tough to parse because it's not a publicly traded company. They don't have financials, but in a September all-in podcast, um, last month, Mr. Beast was interviewed by David Sachs, who asked, how big is the business for you? And he said, this is our second year. We'll do a couple hundred million and later said they could expand to a billion over time. And in a July interview, Mr. Beast manager, Reed uh, Dusher, said, you know, we're not, we're not sure how Hershey's can compete with us seasonally, but Halloween is going to be big for us. We think October can be a hundred or $200 million in a single month. So if they're saying that we're doing a few hundred million dollars this year, we, we might do a hundred or $200 million in Halloween alone. That kind of gives this idea that Feastables is a ballpark 300 to $500 million a year business this year, which, you know, isn't as big as Hershey's with $8 billion in North American chocolate sales, but is big enough to maybe create a dent. And if it's growing 10x from year one, 2022, to year two, 2023, how big is it going to be next year? And will it cause a bigger dent in Hershey's next year? 
Um, number two is around distribution. People say it's easy for a creator to create an, uh, you know, an upstart brand, but it's tough. You know, you can get a few sales online. It's tough to get actual distribution. Um, what I'd highlight is that, you know, every Walmart at the end of last year was carrying Feastables. By July of this year, Target announced that it was in uh, Feastables was in every Target. In almost every 7-Eleven I've been in, um, I've been able to find Feastables. On one of their recent websites, Feastables had an event with Shopify, like a live event, like around getting Feastables in New York City. And on that website, uh, Feastables said it was in over 18,000 stores already. So, you know, there's 4,700 Walmarts in the U.S., there's 2,000 Targets, there's about 9,500 7-11. So even if you assume they're in all of those, it's about 16,000 stores, then they're in over 2,000 other stores. And Mr. Beast has said in some podcasts, they hope to be around 40,000 stores by year end. So they're getting tremendous distribution. And I would say if you're a Hershey's investor, go into any Walmart, go into any Target, and you'll see in the candy aisle, there's tons of Hershey's and right next to the Hershey's and like equally prominent placement, maybe not with like as much shelf space, but on the same shelf, there's feastable bars. And of course that, you know, is going to impact Hershey's losing a little bit of shelf space and giving consumers new options, especially when Hershey's hasn't had like any real chocolate competition in over a hundred years. So they're oftentimes have these, having some of the best placement within like the biggest retailers. And, uh, you know, I, I've bought Feastables on a lot of different occasions and a lot of different stores. And I always like just go get a Feastables bar and talk to the cashier and say, like, is this popular? Is it good? I don't know. And every time they're like, yeah, we were seeing like a ton of it. It's selling out. We need to restock it. Like it's more popular than Hershey's. It's definitely a thing that even the cashiers are aware of is like really popular and is just just kind of taking over. So point number one, it, it, it's not as big as Hershey's yet, but it's significant. 300 to $500 million ballpark in sales, which is obviously going to make somewhat of a dent to Hershey's $8 billion, especially if they're on the same distribution shelves, placed right next to Hershey's, and is an option for a parent with like an eight-year-old kid instead of buying the Hershey's bar, I'm going to buy you a Feastables bar because I hear about Mr. Beast all the time. And then the final point people like to make is, you know, I've seen this story play out. Some creator starts a brand and then it starts to grow. And then even if it gets the sales, even if it gets distribution, if they're lucky five or six years down the road, uh, you know, the bigger brand with bigger distribution is going to come in and acquire them for 500 million or a billion. And, you know, uh, in a podcast in September, Mr. Beast manager was asked this exact question, you know, what number would cross the threshold uh, of where you take an acquisition offer from one of the big CPG companies if they came to you at the end of the year? And Mr. Beast manager, you know, helps runs his chocolate company said, I don't think uh, we would take a multi-billion dollar acquisition right now. There's just too much upside in the business. The opportunity for us is just way too big to even look at an acquisition offer right now. For us, we haven't even rounded first base yet to what this business opportunity is. And when you, you take these like three kind of points together, it, 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 to me, it's fascinating. It's like a compelling argument that Hershey's could be affected by this. If, if Feastables, you know, this year, this 400 million, but next year, given it grew 10x since last year, next year it doubles to 800 million. I mean, that's 10% of Hershey's business. Now, obviously, I don't think, you know, every sale from Feastables is taking a sale from Hershey's one for one, but 
you know, I, I do think it's taking some sales. It might be creating a some new market by getting new chocolate consumers, but it's definitely taking some sales from Hershey's, especially if it's taking retail space from Hershey's and it's placed right next to Hershey's and is going after kids and the parents of kids and is releasing Halloween bags. So you buy it for Halloween. Feastables has also said that in early of next year, right now they just do chocolate bars. In early next year, they want to release like a Reese's peanut butter cup competitor. And we don't know what that'll look like, but that's another direct competition with Hershey's, you know, if it's doing 800 million next year, which I don't think is a stretch at all, you know, let's say half of it is taking share from Hershey's, then that, I mean, that's a 5% volume decline. And that's significant. And it's going to continue to grow and grow over time. And it's something the market, as far as I can tell, has not priced in at all. So if you do a 5% volume decline next year, let's get aggressive and say maybe a 10% volume decline in two years, it's like 10% volume decline leads to you know, a, a higher decline in profit, as always, like ballpark 30% plus the valuation would plummet if Hershey grows from like an anemic grower to like a volume decliner to like profits going down, you might go from 22 times earnings to 11 times earnings or see, see some huge drop there if it's a declining business. And, you know, it sounds kind of odd, but I really think it could happen. And if Feastables does really take off and take share from Hershey's, you might see Hershey's get cut in half or even more. And then compounding on top of that, it's not like Hershey's has a lot of things going for it in other dimensions. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of other headwinds that are going to hurt the Hershey's business, like Wegovy and Ozempec, the weight loss drugs. They already have a rich valuation with a $40 billion market cap. There is new candy competition. Most of my focus is around Feastables, but there's a new candy company, Smart Sweets, that has low sugar candy. And in just seven years, they've gone from zero to over $100 million in sales. Um you know, I, I think there's general health wins, health headwinds in the U.S. where people are trying to eat healthier. Sugar, um, soda consumption has been flattened or declining in the last few years in the U.S. And overall, I think Hershey's just has mediocre management and like weakening brands. Like I think Mars with M&Ms and Skittles, like those to me are vibrant brands. People love them. Like Hershey's bars and Skinny Pop. I don't know. I don't think it's connecting as much as, you know, maybe it was 20 years ago. So combine all that together, that at a high level is like my Hershey short thesis. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I've got a number of follow-ups coming to mind. Yeah. Why don't we start with a little more on Feastables? What advantage do you think the, the Feastables brand has going up against the bigger competitor here? So Feastables, you know, is primarily advertised within Mr. Beast's own videos. So this segment might be a little tough to describe, like for people to understand if they haven't seen Mr. Beast before. But one example I cite in my article is like Mr. Beast does a lot of like viral stunts often around charitable giving. I highly recommend everyone ch check out his channel. It's fascinating. And when he launched Feastables in July 2020, he built a chocolate factory, like, you know, a mock-up chocolate factory. And he had a video I built 
Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. He too flew out 10 random people who purchased Feastables bars, like similar to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And he had them compete in a video that got over 200 million views and was great marketing for Feastables. He flew in Gordon Ramsay, who tasted Feastables versus Hershey's and said Feastables was better. You know, in a more recent video, um, Mr. Beast, uh, one second here, you know, Mr. Beast uh, had a competition where, you know, he, he made a video earlier this month called the world's most dangerous trap, where he flew in one contestant and had them go through like 10, you know, difficult traps each time they'd win a hundred thousand dollars if they competed, the completed the trap. Um, but if they failed in any one of the traps, they'd lose all the money. And the sixth trap in that video, which has over 140 million views in just this month, um, you know, was to rate which is better, Feastables or Hershey's. And he said, you know, you need to pick which one tastes better for $100,000 and you need to throw the other one in the trash. And in this video, which has been viewed 150 million times, the walls are painted with Hershey sucks and this guy needs to pick which one tastes better, Feastables or Hershey's. And of course he takes picks Feastables, wins the $100,000 and there's this like huge clip where he takes the Hershey's bar and throws it in the trash. And, you know, it sounds a little silly, but it's driven $400 million in sales this year, ballpark wise. And that's the advantage in terms of marketing is this guy connects with the younger generation, the eight to 18 year old demographic, unlike anybody else. And he has been dominant, Mr. Beast, on YouTube for the last five years. He, he, he grew up doing YouTube. He's been obsessed with YouTube since day one. You know, I, I you know, Mr. Beast is like not, not just like a fad of the last year or two or six months. He has been consistently the dominant personality around YouTube for the last five years and is just continuing to grow. So the advantage they have is they have this like not paid marketing but just like like the most popular internet celebrity you know of our time has this brand and people love him people want to support him people love the marketing within the videos he has tom brady tasted he has pete davidson tasted in his videos he's like doing these stunts around it and kids gravitate towards that so if you're a kid if you're a parent of a kid if you're somebody buying candy on halloween for kids you know, you want to buy Feastables because it's the cool new thing. And Hershey's is just like out of touch with this younger generation. Makes sense. And it, it, I liked the other thing you mentioned in your article where it's not just consumers, it's fans. And yeah. you want to talk about how they like were, were going through the stores and reconfiguring any bad displays? Yeah. So, so like one of the, like, the points I tried to make is, you know, Hershey's has customers, Feastables has fans. And it might be silly to say, who could be a fan of a chocolate bar? But, you know, in March 2023, Mr. Beast tweeted, I need your help. Next time you see Feastables in Walmart and soon new retailers, if you could clean up the presentation and make it look better, that would make me very happy. I'm building your team to do this routinely, but I just need your help. So he tweets out, you know, can you clean up the displays from my chocolate bar? If anyone else did this, you know, no one would care and be like, that's a weird tweet. He got over 140,000 likes. The tweet was viewed 45 million times. And then everybody in the replies starts like some people would make YouTube videos where they drive to all the Walmarts, clean up the feasibles display and like make YouTube videos of them doing it. All these accounts were replying like I drove to my local Walmart. Here's a before picture with all the messy displays. And here's an after picture where it's all clean. And it's kind of like people don't realize the love people have for Mr. Beast 
and festivals. It, you know, I, I don't want to like to compare it to Tesla in any way, but it, there, there's like kind of that cult mentality where people who have a Tesla love a Tesla. It's like more than a car to them. And people who like, you know, love Mr. Beast and festivals, this is more than like a chocolate brand for them. It's it's the, like the genuine connection everybody has been striving for. It's kind of like the young, honest upstart versus the who's trying to make a healthier chocolate brand, a cleaner chocolate brand against the big corporations that have been like poisoning the youth forever. There's a, there, there, there's there's like like a movement behind it and you know so 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 there, there is like this just just love for feastables that i i think is an intangible factor here which further goes in their favor okay we've talked a little bit about feastables now and i know that's kind of the crux of your thesis here but there's also some very relevant news that's come out kind of in the last couple of months around ozempic i think that's yeah. how you say it um how do you think that might impact the business? So no doubt about it, it's a negative. One of the things that, that maybe like someone who's not really equated with how these work might think is, oh, if there's a miracle weight loss drug, then people are skinny, so they won't feel guilty about eating chocolate and unhealthy stuff, so that consumption would go up. That thinking is wrong, and it's wrong for a simple reason, which is the way these drugs work, which need to be taken indefinitely, is that these drugs are appetite suppressants. They, they lower your desire to eat. You'd see interviews with people who take these drugs and almost all of them say, you know, I went from drinking five Diet Cokes a day to I can't stand the taste of it. I went from eating a Pringles bag every day to now I just want one or two chips. You know, I went from eating six chocolate bars, you know, a month, uh, you know, I don't really love the taste of chocolate. So these things, we go be Ozempec, uh, you know, our appetite suppressants and that's going to hurt like basically all food categories. And the ones that's going to hurt most are like unhealthy, salty snacks, chocolates, and things like that. It's less a part of my thesis because I'm not sure how big the volume impact is going to be, at least initially. And it seems like the market might even be overreacting to that. So it's like, you know, by some estimates, I saw that like 7% of the U.S. will be on it in, you know, five years. And, you know, the 7% that is on it will probably be the like unhealthy 7%, which are probably disproportionate candy and unhealthy food consumers. But like, like how much of a like, concrete impact it will have, you know, it's, it's like a little less clear to me. But it, it's another added headwind to the point where you say, like, could Hershey's have? 10% volume declines two years from now versus where it is today. Well, Feastables is going to like has a huge lever to take share. And if you have people on Wegovy and Ozempic, I mean, that's going to be like, you know, suppressing their appetite for unhealthy things. And that that's going to be a further headwind. Um, not sure how big it'll be. I think it'll be tough to quantify. Um, but when you have a stock that's, you know, 23 times earnings that's never really been scrutinized before, never really shown volume declines and huge profit declines, I, I think, you know, it, it could have a big impact on the stock. Yeah. And I think I've seen some data and again, it is early. There's a lot of uncertainty of how big the impact will be. It's something like the top decile of candy consumers or maybe it's not just candy maybe it's like yeah. junk food i know it's various studies because you can include just candy and confectionery stuff or you can also include chips and soda but it's something like that the top decile consumes like 35 percent of all these things so they you know even if it's a slow onboard there could be some impact from the quote-unquote power users here and i guess that leads into a lot of the pushback investors have against the cpg shorts today you know versus as you're talking about the dtc 
and kind of internet uh, disruptors along with the a lot of people, as you said, it's a huge theme right now is the Ozempic risk. But the, the way they push back is they say, hey, look, historically, these businesses have a lot of pricing power. Basically, they can say, hey, we charge Hershey bar, it's two bucks and we can raise it to $2.10 and then $2.20 basically forever. And that's really going to help them you know, maintain their profitability. Do you think that like, what do, you, what do you think about that? Do you think that has changed? Do you think that, are we in a new paradigm here? What are your thoughts on the kind of the pricing power pushback people have on CPG shorts? So first, just briefly, the Feastables isn't just direct to consumer. It's also in tons of retail. It also has similar pricing power dynamics. If so, more because people love the Feastables and want the Feastables. In fact, I'd argue if anyone has a really pricing power advantage here between Hershey's and Feastables, it's Feastables. Because if you go in, you want to buy the Feastables bar if you care about Mr. Beast. Hershey's like the common example Warren Buffett gave, I think, at one of his like Berkshire annual meetings. He said, Hershey's is a great business because if you go into a convenience store and they say, oh, we, we don't have Hershey's, we have a chocolate bar for 50 cents, but you can buy the Hershey's bar across the street for 60 cents. You'd cross the street and buy the Hershey's bar. And, you know, because you're kind of pricing difference, you want the Hershey's bar if you're going to have a chocolate bar. I don't know if that's just true today. Like my kind of gut feeling is that do people really care about the Hershey's bar versus like, you know, like there just hasn't been a, like a lot of new competition around Hershey's and in the chocolate segment. I I, I also have never really like vibe with this idea of, that pricing should be your main lever because of course there is a point at which consumer taste changed where you raise it from a dollar to two dollars to three dollars and and hershey's has like maxed out on pricing most of their growth has not come from volume it's come from five to seven percent price increases when you max on a pricing, there is going to, it's always beneficial in the short term because people will generally continue their habits in the short run. But eventually someone will look at it and say, you know what, this is, how did it get so expensive? How is this bag of Halloween candy, 30 bucks? You know, I'm not going to do it. And then once those tastes change, they kind of like change irreversibly, even if you lowered the prices down the road. Once you stop going to get your Hershey's bar every time, you know, you stop going forever, at least like, you know, the majority of the time. So I've never been like hugely convinced that, you know, pricing is just this like magical thing that you can raise prices 10% forever and, you know, it'll work. And, you know, it really doesn't work in the face of like volume declines because to offset, you know, a 10% volume decline, you're going to need 11%. It just, it just, it just, I, I don't see it really like, they they used it. They used it as much as they could. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Hershey's like in store is kind of like prices pretty high right now. And there's been a bunch of like Wall Street Journal reporting recently about how like a lot of consumers are getting stickier, sticker shot around Halloween prices and candy prices like Hershey's. I do not think has that much more pricing power left. And I don't think they have this brand that like people love or I need the Hershey's bar and I would never get it like a rival chocolate bar. Same with Reese's. I, I, I don't think they have that brand loyalty. I think it's degrading over time. Brett and I have this like same pricing power debate around uh like cigarettes marlboro especially ultra here in the u.s but they're Which, valued at uh <laughs> i think part of the risk you're saying is they're valued at like eight times earnings so you're saying that we could see part of the multiple compression right if they kind of have the same sort of dynamics as these cigarette companies with probably more competition you you think maybe they deserve to be valued at like eight to nine times earnings instead of 20 plus 
you know, well, I cigarettes are, I always thought cigarettes are kind of a unique thing because you, you can't start like an upstart cigarette company. Like right. they're just regulatory. So they, they kind of have this, like they benefited in this way by like making it impossible to start a new cigarette company. I don't know if that's like exactly where I just, just pricing, you know, it works in the short run. It's always a short run benefit, but people do have their limits and it's not, you know, like there's just tons of news reporting now about like consumers getting like sticker shock at these prices. And um, I, I think that's a sign that maybe you're like priced out and you can't push through another 10% price increase without seeing huge volume declines. And the thing that is going to like kill this stock isn't going to be whether or not they can push through another three or 5% price increase next year. It's that I think you could see volumes decline 10% in the next two years. And more importantly, decline 10% with the potential for more declines going forward. And, you know, two quarters from now, three quarters from now, they're going to be saying, you know, analysts will be saying, why do you have a 2% volume decline when you, you know, predicted 1% volume growth? And eventually management will need to say the word feastables. And then all of Wall Street will be like, what the heck is feastables? Let me dive into it. Oh my goodness, this thing is growing faster than we've ever seen in just two and a half years. It became a billion dollar brand and it's taking over retail space. And Wall Street's going to have like a huge another panic, similar to what you're seeing now with the GLP-1 weight loss drugs. And that's going to take the stock down a lot. But unlike these GLP-1s, I think Feastables will have a big lasting impact. Right. I'd be very worried about, I kind of like at the right price, some of the tobacco stocks, you know, everyone can have their own. You know, some people yeah. don't like investing in those, but if there was like the availability for people to compete with them, I don't know if I'd like them that much, even if they're trading at such a discounted valuation. So yeah, I mean, if you're right here, things could get even, uh, it could be even more of a tough operating environment than the tobacco businesses, which has have, have had volume declines for you know decades now. But sorry, Ryan, you have a follow-up? Yeah, I've got a hypothetical for you. So let's say you were a Hershey's investor today and tomorrow Hershey's comes out with a press release that says we're buying Feastables for six billion dollars are you happy with that i would be ecstatic i'd want to know the terms like i'd want to like because obviously mr reese is going to promote it a lot when he owns it and what you don't want is like i don't think it works if he doesn't own it does that does that kind of make sense maybe uh, like a better phrasing would be if hershey said we bought a 51 percent stake for three billion mr beast was like i i think that would be great in fact you know one of the things we kind of talked about is how could this go wrong uh how could i be wrong here well if hershey's gets benefit from feastables counterintuitively either through like a joint venture or something else then I would be ecstatic. In fact, I'd be looking to maybe get long Hershey's or, you know, I, 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 I'd I be very, very, I think that would be a huge, huge win. I also think it's very, very unlikely to happen because again, this guy is saying Hershey sucks, is having his contestants throw Hershey's into the trash can. I think he's doing it kind of from not just a business perspective, but like a heart perspective. Mr. Beast had Crohn's disease going up. There's a lot of processed food that he couldn't eat himself. So part of the reason he's making this better for you chocolate or chocolate, at least with simpler ingredients, it's not like healthy chocolate, but as simpler, cleaner ingredients is he wants to build like a candy and food company that could cater to people like him. And that like doesn't have all the processed nonsense that a lot of these other things have. 
He also, um, you know, he had this burger joint venture where he was not owning like these burger chain, but was more of like just the marketing arm for this thing called Beast Burger, which is a ghost kitchen concept. And that ended in a big dispute with his partner who he felt didn't do a good job like of quality assurance. So he has said like, you know, the next thing I do Feastables, I'm going to own 100% of it and I'm going to own 100% for a while. So answer your question. Yes, I think a Hershey's investor should be ecstatic if they had like a partnership with Feastables. And I think the shot of that is like slim to none. Um, I, I think they, they have explicitly said Hershey sucks. Hershey's is out of touch. We're competing with Hershey's. They trash Hershey's in the videos. He's reason to. Um, I, I don't. I think. I think that's wishful thinking. Okay, what are you tracking to say to be able to detect if like this thesis doesn't work out? Is it just purely? Hershey's confectionery volume growth like if that if if they continue to grow volumes for the next couple of years do you say oh maybe this doesn't work out so so I love 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 that question so the biggest thing is you you I listen to every Mr Beast interview and every interview of people on his team and I always look to see what's the new commentary on feastables and every time it's we're crushing it it's exceeding our expectations we're getting more retail space we're going to get new more shelf space in the next reset all like the now if if they said oh you know actually like we've had a lot more supply chain issues this is this isn't working as much as we thought this business actually turned out to be more of a fad maybe like then that would be you know the commentary from them which comes out every three months in various podcast interviews i track that closely and the commentary was anything less than like exuberant um you know especially from like a demand side uh that would be a really big red flag you know i do go into like every time you know i, I see a walmart or target or 7-eleven i just go in to see like the, how the feastables is displayed if for whatever reason they weren't getting as much prominent displays or like had trouble expanding into other retailers which is i think is unlikely that would be damaging to the thesis now the, the third thing here that that I, I don't think any of those are likely i'm very confident feastables will be big that what could happen is maybe Feastables just creates an entirely new market. Maybe Feastables, uh, you know, doesn't take any share from Hershey's. It just actually gets new people interested in chocolate who wouldn't have otherwise been interested in chocolate. Maybe Feastables is a gateway drug for getting people addicted to heart chocolate who then try Hershey's. Because there's a lot of people who aren't chocolate fans now. Maybe they get addicted to Feastables. Oh, I like chocolate. I like Feastables. Let me try Hershey's. I like Hershey's too. I like Hershey Kiss. I like maybe it somehow just magically expands the chocolate market. So they're the kind of K KPI we track is like Hershey's volume and like their commentary around Feastables, if any. Um, and, and really like for me right now, it's just seeing the success of Feastables and trying, you know, no, no one on Wall Street says, you know, the th key thing I'm tracking is YouTube interviews and podcast interviews with this one person every three months. But I think that's the key thing you got to do here if you're interested in how this affects Hershey's is just anytime there's an interview with Mr. Beaster's manager or anyone involved in Feastables, try to pick up those little data points on how well it's going. And right now, every time you do that, it's just kind of like off the chart good okay as we wrap things up the hershey stock is off 30 percent from all-time highs it's at probably well it's not probably it it's at one of its lowest earnings ratios in years typically you know as one of these cpg companies it's had a high valuation do you think there is still downside in hershey shares going forward and kind of what do you think the magnitude of that downside could be because per i guess maybe 
<laughs> Personally, I I've changed my opinion on this now, given the Ozempic stuff and the Feastables data you're giving today. I used to think Hershey's was one of the best businesses out there. Historically, it had been. I kind of think at the right price, it's probably a good bet, but I'm just not sure at what you know earnings ratio or what what price that is. So, what are your thoughts? You said there's more. You think there's more downside? How how much more do you think? So I think it's kind of like a little bit uninvestable with this <clears throat> huge feasibles risk because I don't know how much a 10% volume decline would impact profits. You know, it's always disproportionate. It's going to be bigger than 10%, but could it be 50%? Could, you know, 10% volume decline mean this is just not a profitable business? I'm not entirely sure there, and I don't think anyone is. Um, what, what I would say is like, I kind of got the feeling even at a hundred dollar stock, I'm not sure I'd want to own it because it's 22 times earnings now. And even if it was 15 times earnings, it's 22 times earnings, 23 times earnings at $188, you know, even at a hundred dollars, it's just like, if, if the profits are going down and the volumes are going down and you don't think they have like a secret sauce here, like I don't think Hershey's is any more this like, or Reese's is this like invincible brand that'll be around forever. I don't think it like, connects in that same way. Um, I mean, and they have like $3 billion in net debt. They don't have a lot of cash. I don't think the management's that good. They haven't really innovated at all. Like when's the last time they released a great new product? You know, they they, they, they do these acquisitions that I view as mediocre, like Skinny Pop. You know, Michelle Blubuck, the, the CEO, doesn't seem to be like wildly impressive to me. She just talks about increasing price. I just... You know, even at a hundred bucks, even at 15 times earnings, if you believe that earnings are going to decline and volumes are going to decline and like, I mean, I just at least 50% downside to me in the next two years, if this plays out as I think it will. And I still wouldn't want to own it. It's just not compelling to me. Okay. I think we're on to our last question, unless Brett has any more, but let's say that five years down the road, Hershey's increased volumes that call it low mid single digits and feastables is people aren't talking about it anymore. Why do you think that would happen? Why would feastables not become what you think it could? So there's a key man risk here, Mr. Beast. It's, it's kind of revolving around one person and one channel. Um, so, so maybe he gets unpopular. I, I think most people would say, oh, it's a fad. Some things get popular and then they get unpopular. I think that's unlikely. You know, this guy is having his moment. He's having his year in the sun right now and it's going to decline like all things. People want new personalities and the 25-year-old Jimmy Donaldson makes great YouTube videos, but maybe the 30-year-old Jimmy Donaldson, eight-year-olds no longer want to watch and you need a new person, you need a new brand and it, it doesn't work out. So I, I think that is like how like Feastables doesn't work. And then the other equally big risk is even if Feastables do, doesn't, does work, maybe it just doesn't impact Hershey's in the way I expect it to. Um, but, but that's the big risk. Yeah, I think that's all the questions we have. Where can people find more of your research? Yeah, so if they just Google the Bear Cave Substack, uh, the Bear Cave newsletter, it, it'll come up, and you know you'll you can easily find my Hershey's article by just searching it. I'm also really active on Twitter, Edwin Dorsey at Stockjabber. So the Twitter, Edwin Dorsey, or the Bear Cave newsletter just by googling is a great way to like follow what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, we should throw a disclosure on this and say Brett and I are not financial advisors. I'm not sure if Edwin is. I 
I'm gonna, Edwin's not a financial advisor either. So anything we say here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you, Edwin, for coming on the show. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Thank you.